just a bit outside. Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Whoa, Rick, check this guy out. He's really, he's got a lot going on for him. Silence, Morty. Four, three, two, one, and everybody, welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast live from the North Star Recording Studio here where it is a humid 79 degrees. It's kind of a hot one down here tonight, um, but that's that's just the way that it is. This part of the studio is not air conditioned. It's just like in the <laughs> old days. Um, hey, tonight we have Chad Elkins on the show. And actually, Chad Elkins uh, we had a special show trailer designed here down in the studio for him, which we're going to try to show successfully in just a moment. But uh, Chad has over 10 years of tax experience, including positions and engagements with the Internal Revenue Service, U.S. Tax Court, and U.S. Department of Justice Tax Division. He's a co-author of Elkin's Comprehensive Tax Guide. He is the oracle of Chicago finance with a pension <laughs> for observing nuanced trends and how humans manage the fiscal aspects of their lives. So a lot of you probably know Chad, you know, from uh, his many appearances uh, with Aaron Clary and the Clary podcast, uh, older <laughs> brother, uh, different shows. And in this interview, though, you know, Chad and I are going to talk about um, unusual fiscal behaviors that he has seen as a certified public accountant that he's seen from his clients, as well as overall trends in people, um, how people have altered their behaviors during the coronavirus, um, sometimes with drastic consequences to like, you know, their fiscal portfolio for short term or long term. Um different things that they've done with their money management strategies and what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And we're going to really try to figure out, um, you know, at the start, back in March, what were people doing? We, they give Chad a call and say, oh my God, stock market, you know, is down <laughs> to 17,000. Um, I'm thinking about doing this. What are the consequences this could have on my, you know, tax taxes and things like that um, versus now, you know, what kind of things are they asking? What kind of long-term, short-term advice? Because it's really interesting how things have progressed with people in general, but we haven't analyzed this from a fiscal side. So that's really the gift that Chad brings to the show tonight. He also he also rides around Chicago on a talking moose, which he's, he's kind of curtailed that since the civil unrest because uh, the moose does draw attention to him. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a cool thing. Still reserved for parades, stuff like that. So, you know. And and uh, it, it was uh, reported he, he cleared nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars last year, at least on the show trailer he did. Uh, but he, he's a great guy. He, he's absolutely uh, phenomenal. Um, again, most of you know Chad. You're already uh, you know, over in the chat. Red McTibis, um Bacon. So here's guy. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to do a sh a share screen and play this one minute uh, show trailer. And this this should actually work here. So give me just a second for those of you watching at home and not live here in the studio audience. All right. So this is a JBL portable speaker that I have. All right. If this all works, this is going to be really cool. So it's worth the, worth the effort here. Um, I'm going to share screens. So 
This is the screen I want you to see, everybody. All right, that is that is the show trailer. That's the one that I had out there on Twitter. <laughs> and let's give this a try. That is that is the show trailer. That's the one that uh, I had out there. All right. And let's give this a try. Hey, everybody. It's your good friend, Dr. David Proden, with the Safety right. Doc Podcast. This and week's guest, Chad Elkins, CPA. Chad, welcome to the show. Dr. David Proden, with the Safety Doc Podcast. Where are you from? This week's I'm guest, from downtown. Chad, so Chad how did you get CPA. here? I got here on a call to the Lutz. Where are you from? This week's guest, Chad Elkins, CPA. I got here on a call to the Lutz. This Elkins, that watch you have, that's a Disney magic band. These things don't even work anymore. I made $970,000 last year. Disney uh, here's the materials I put together for the show. So I'm hoping we get a couple of super chats. You know, maybe make $10 or $15. I can go out there tonight. The materials you got make myself $15,000. <laughs> why did you agree to be on the Safety Dot podcast? I mean, why are you here? Why am I here? I came here because Mitch and Murray asked me to. Thursday night, August 13th, 7 p.m., Chad Elkins, live stream, the Safety Doc Podcast. See you then. Hey, everybody. It's your good friend, Doc. All right. I'll tell you what. I, I just figured out, like, the, the little uh, relay thing at the start. So it's only a minute. Let's play it one more. Let's play it one more time, and then we'll get going, because this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Hey, everybody. It's your good friend, Dr. David Proden. With the Safety Doc Podcast. This week's guest, Chad Elkins, CPA. Chad, welcome to the show. Put that coffee down. W where are you from? I'm here from downtown. So, Chad, how did you get here tonight? I got here on a talking moose. All right, dude, a talking moose? Really? Is it tied up in my backyard? I've got a garden back there. You see this watch? That watch costs more than your car. All right, listen, Elkins. That watch you have... It's a Disney magic band. These things don't even work anymore. Chad, how's the accounting business in Chicago? I made $970,000 last year. How much you made? Uh, here's wish. the materials I put together for the show. So I'm hoping we get a couple super chats. You know, maybe make $10 or $15. I can go out there tonight. The materials <laughs> you got make myself $15,000. Chad, why did you agree to be on the Safety Dot podcast? I mean, why are you here? Why am I here? I came here because Mitch and Murray asked me to. Thursday night. All right. I hope it was worth it because uh, I usually don't do that. That was it was just cool. I don't want people to, to be able to go back and, and see that. And so anyway, what do you think, Chad? I thought that was pretty awesome. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've only done streams with a few people, but nobody has ever um, introduced me as a guest quite like that. So uh, that was that was pretty sweet. You don't get that from the Clary podcast. A lot of things from no. the Clary podcast. You don't get a trailer like that, though. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I had fun doing it, um, it, putting that together. So it, it's cool. So, so give me give me your take on um, what you've been perceiving with you know the coronavirus, with uh, civil unrest the last you know hundred days, uh, finances, people. Where's where's their thought at? Again, you're a CPA. You, you've had clients, you know, for a long long time so you've monitored their behavior what's some things going on that like most people probably aren't aware of or, or thinking about so well the first thing i want to say like as this almost goes without saying this year this 2020 i mean this is just 
there, there is no sense, not a single sense of, of normalcy in my field, and I'm sure in several other fields uh, this year. Because I know I was looking at my calendar today and I saw that it was actually March 13th where everything like shut down here with it with, you know, the governor was just like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah. so exactly five months ago, this happened. And I'm thinking back to it and I have to say like tax season had been pretty, pretty, I don't want to say easy, but pretty normal. You know, everything had been kind of rolling along. It was busy, but, um, okay. It was just really, and yeah, everything changed after that, not just in my professional world, but almost everybody else's too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was like one of the first calls you received from one of your clients, uh, you know, like in, in mid-March, so, you know, stock market's kind of in free fall, um, you know, people are going to the stores, clearing off stuff, um, and, you know, businesses are having to lay off people. This is before we've got any type of stimulus bill out there, you know, layoffs and, and uh, run me through with like a couple of the calls where people are like, call, I've got to talk to you now. Like call me back in the next 10 minutes, Chad. So yes, there was uh that did happen with a number of people. Um, well, the first things first, just for a little bit more background, my, the bread and butter of my practice are business owners and business owners okay. who have, you know, their own corporations. Usually they're called small business corporations, S corporations, but that's really what I consider my specialty. And um, I, I did get a lot of very panicking calls and it depended on what type of business, uh, uh, what type, what, what their business was. And I have about half of my businesses are therapists, you know, they're oh. really, yeah. Okay. So, so that's about half our therapist. Then another, I'd say 15% are hairstylists. So I have more hairstylists and therapists as business owners than okay. any other profession. And, you know, the rest of my business clients are just, you know, a hodgepodge of different ones. But it was the, it was both the therapists and hairstylists that were understandably freaking out as soon as this happened. Um, because they thought, remember, this was before Zoom and all the, you know, work from home crap like that. We hadn't seen that yet. So they were genuinely like really scared about what was going to happen. So my job, I had to play therapist myself, you know, for the therapist and be like, look, relax. I know that we're closed, but if we stay closed for a long time, there is going to be some help from the government. I'm not right. saying it's going to be good help and help that makes sense. But there's no way that even with this tanking of the stock market, there's no way that they're going to let this many businesses fail without some help. Right. So you're absolutely right. Like the week after we shut down here, it was just constantly email conversations, phone calls, just trying to talk, talk my business clients off the ledge. And, I, you know, I'll tell you a little bit later about how things ended up turning out with all this. But, man, I, I do remember that week as being particularly stressful because March 6, March 15th is normally a big filing deadline for these businesses. So I was putting the finishing touches on that. And that's when the bomb dropped. <laughs> that, is, that is insane. So, yeah. At what point? Um, so you're talking about, you know, therapists. For example, hairstylists, at what point in Chicago did it come out where their industry was closed? Because I remember like the, my hairstylist was saying, Dave, as of like Friday, I can't, you know, have clients anymore. The business has mm -hmm. to close. Yeah, it was, it, it was all about the essential versus, you know, non-essentials. And so therapists, of course, ended up becoming essential. 
So they were fun. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But as you know, and I'm sure half the people watching this or maybe all of them know, you could not get a haircut to save right. your life until <laughs> right. June because it wasn't allowed, at least in my state. I'm in Illinois in Chicago. And um, was it the same up there? It was. Like, yeah, it, Wisconsin, yeah. it was. Um, it, it, and my uh, my sister-in-law is, is a hairstylist, has her own place. And yeah, everything had to be 100% shut down. Yeah, so, I mean, understandably, they were all panicking. They're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I had some new some new hairstylist talk about bad timing. They had just put all the money in and opened their doors like a week before that everything got shut down because of the pandemic. <laughs> God. That one was particularly like I spent a long time on the phone with her because um, that was bad. And then for the record, it's not really my job to be doing things like that. But I mean, right. they didn't really have anyone else to talk to who knew what might happen. So, yeah, that was a rough week. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's um, so you mentioned, you know, they're coming to you and and because they don't have anybody else to, to talk, to talk to you about kind of what's happening in their, their whole fiscal world. And they've been put all this time in and I had something similar happen. Um, so I had a, a, someone I had worked with retired last year, her and her husband, um, late fifties. And, you know, the, the moment, uh, the market was in free fall, you know, 17, 18,000, I, I get an email from her and, um, She's like, hey, can can we talk like, you know, right now? Um, yeah. our, our finance, our portfolio and stuff. And and I'm not, uh, I don't have a financial background. You know, like I, I would say I understand finances because I've studied finances so I can understand my own personal finance and, and, and things like that. But I'm in no position. Like I have no idea of, of what this portfolio is. And it just, but, um, but she said, I can't get a response from my brokerage firm. They're overwhelmed. And, you know, we were just seeing the market go down. And then, I mean, called me like two more times. So sent emails and called and then called again. And then uh, sent me another email. This is all like in 24 hours saying, I can scan everything as like a PDF document and send it to you. And then you can analyze it. And I'm like, I am not doing anything for, for you. Like, I I, I, underst I understand you're panicked. You're scared. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just simply, she, uh, was wanting somebody to understand what they were going through. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the brokers, brokerage uh, places, and, and they're all overwhelmed getting calls and just telling people market, you know, goes up, market goes down. These types of things have happened in the past. We can't predict where things are at, but, but it was yeah. really weird. I'm like, I'm, this is not something I would ever, you know, do, um, so I, I what did I what did I tell her? I said, oh, I, I said, just look back. I think five years ago, where was the stock market? Which was mm -hmm. about where there wasn't that big of a difference. And then I, I said something like, everything does have inherent value. So there is a a basement in everything, you know, consolidated Edison, General Electric, you know, Boeing, whatever. I mean, these things all do have basements because they, they do have assets, so they do have some value at some point. But uh, mm -hmm. But it was weird, right? Because this was a person who was always very level-headed and and then just lost it. Um, and I wonder how many people made just uh, rash decisions. A lot. Like, just, yeah. And now, we, yeah. you know, we have a market that has recovered, at least for now. And, and just, I guess, as a stock market thing, but just other stuff, people making, um, uh, yeah, really fast decisions without thinking it through. So yeah, give me some more, you know, thoughts of, of, I guess what was coming through, like in the general accounting world 
you know, maybe memberships that you belong with. Um, what were people seeing? What was, uh, yeah, what were they maybe predicting? You know, was there some sense of, um, hey, you know, there could be like banks closing. There could be, I guess, I, I don't know what, what from, a, from a CPA standpoint, what really got front and center on your radar? Of like, what do I need to do to, to be able to advise people? And Well, the first thing, the first thing that me and, and my colleagues started, you know, placing wagers on as far as the date, we knew, we knew they were going to extend the tax season. Like the second that this thing dropped, because normally, of course, it's April 15th. And this all went down about a month before that. So without even thinking about it, you know, some colleagues and I were joking, okay, so do you think we'll be working our asses off till June 15th or July 15th? Yeah. <laughs> of course, it, it took them a few weeks. It was like three weeks, I believe, that they finally announced that they were going to push back the deadline. They had to like the world was just like in in chaos in the sense that we didn't have any rules for anything, you know. And um, so that that was that was one thing that stands out in my mind because we were like, yeah, we need more time to deal with this mess. Um, there were a lot of people that uh, in a similar to your story, I had some people bail out and like totally get rid of their businesses, which was foolish. Because Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I tried really hard to calm them down. I'm like, look, just just wait, just wait, okay? And there were a lot of things that the government, very imperfectly, but things that they did try to provide in terms of relief, which I'm sure you and, and the listeners know about. But I mean, I had some people, um, mainly hairstylists, if I'm being honest, that they just couldn't take the anxiety. They just, it, it would, they just couldn't deal with it. So they went ahead and just shut everything down. And it's, it's one thing if you shut things down temporarily, you know, just to see what happens. No, I mean, they quit paying rent. They got their shit. At, oh, they got their stuff. No, Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can we curse on here? Or? Yeah. As, as long as it doesn't get like totally crazy. Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. Well, Clary thing. No, I'm right. <laughs> um, No. And I was really upset about that. I'm like, you know, just wait, but people couldn't handle not knowing. And so they're really kicking themselves now because now that things are at least opening up a little bit, you know, they're kind of like, what do I do now? And I said, I don't know. I guess you have to try to get a, you know, a job working for somebody else or you can try to get your old space back. So that was the most disheartening was people that just gave up immediately. So you said gave um, up. So, so giving up would mean um, they stopped paying what on a, um, uh, rental stopped paying their vendors and 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 just discontinued everything or bailed out they of their space they didn't have enough money in reserves and i get it a lot of businesses are like this you know it's it's turnaround 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 they didn't have enough reserve cash to kind of ride this thing out and wait for government help and government help came you know four or five weeks later in a number of programs but they just couldn't deal with it. Everybody was so scared about not being able to make their rent, you know, for where their shops were. Right. And and so that they were just like, I can't afford to rent. I have to stop. And then they broke their leases, you know, involuntarily. It just never went back. And it was just really disappointing to see that. Um, it, Holy smokes. Yeah. And, and the best, well, an interesting part of this story was that, so that was hairstylist I was telling you about mainly and some other in-person type businesses. Therapists, and so they were also freaking out. Therapists by nature are kind of neurotic, so they just can't handle anxiety. And um, the funniest thing happened was that the, one of the first laws that got passed pretty much in every state is that 
you weren't allowed to do what's called telehealth, where what we're doing right now, you're not supposed to be able to do that when it comes to psychotherapy. It's like not licensed or anything. It, right. it took it took about a week for this telehealth to um, to be a reality. So my therapists are thriving better than they ever have before because they don't have to see their patients in person and everybody needs psychological help at the moment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, so they don't have to, to, to rent space. They don't have to do a commute, um, you know, all of those types of, of things. Um, sure, because they were worried about making rent. You know, everybody was worried about making rent, you know, for their businesses. And suddenly it was no longer a factor with the therapist. So <laughs> that was that. Wow. That is that is a, absolutely amazing. So in so I have a you know, PhD from UW-Madison and, and work a lot in school safety chaos theory. But before I did that, um, I was a, and still am a licensed speech language pathologist. And mm. I am able through my license and some other licenses I obtained to do therapy across several states via teleplatform. Yes. And I was approached um, in, well, probably like May, right? Because this suddenly, this demand was 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 through the roof for different types of therapies. And um, to, you know, would you be interested in doing a certain number of, of hours a week mm -hmm. do it from your house? We have the platform and, and everything. And, and those wouldn't have traditionally been there before because one, it, you're kind of restricted to if you're working at one facility, right? You had to physically show up there and, and, you know, provide your services in person and you can be providing across state. And a lot of that has really been eased and changed. Um, so it is, it is fascinating as I look at that in, in my industry, because there are people now doing this and it's completely from their home, right? And they're being a therapist to yeah. people, uh, you know, they live in Missouri, but they're working in the morning with clients in Maine and in the afternoon clients in California. And what they're telling me is that they love it. They mm -hmm. they do. They're really enjoying. Um, yeah, that aspect. And and also, I mean, you know, things get wonky in in, in some face to face therapies, especially behavioral therapies. I, I, uh, I you know, as a former school administrator, you know, that was one thing we always we would have clauses. We'd have kids go out to mental health mental health therapy, and the therapist be like, "Well, if they destroy the." My place of business, like they're not welcome back. <laughs> they go mm -hmm. berserk and smash the lobby up or something like that's it. Contract <laughs> done. And now, yeah, you don't have to. You don't have that as part of the consideration. But that is, that is absolutely, um, that is absolutely fascinating. So, yeah. so let me ask you this: Do you think that is a a permanent change um, from you know the the a virus? Do you think a year from now, no matter what happens, let's say things resolve, um, people have no restrictions on him being able to go back to work as far as like tele uh health you know mental health other teletherapies do you do you believe that's where that industry has permanently kind of evolved to specifically to therapy i have to say i think it has you know they extended telehealth uh permission until the end of the year you know whether you have a pandemic or not i think people will always have the option to come in and see their therapists in person, assuming, you know, the therapists have an office, but I mean, the cat's out of the bag now that, you know, right. half of people's jobs, all the jobs, you don't actually need to be present for it. So I have to say, I think it's there to stay with the telehealth. I was, uh, I had Chuck Mack on the show. Yeah. So, so Chuck Mack is, um, works in, 
but he's a, he's, he's a, he's does a lot of stuff. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it's interesting because I get, I get little messages from him and he collects like baseball jerseys. So whenever he gets like a new jersey, he's like, Hey, I just picked up this Kirby Puckett. And, um, and he works um, IT for the University of Pittsburgh Medical. So mm-hmm. during the early days of the coronavirus, uh, so Chuck, I'm checking in with him, like, what's going on over there? He's like, oh, man, like, I've we have to scale up the building for Wi-Fi, and we've taken over this, like, additional building and for anticipated people coming in. But that never actually manifested. They didn't get overwhelmed with patients. But what did happen is he said, we increased our telehealth tenfold. Mm-hmm. I had oh, yeah. to get iPads, tablets, anything. And I'm sitting there just training people. I'm like, here's how to use it. Like, you know, doctors, as you said, therapists, nurse practitioners mm-hmm. who really had only kind of passively used it. Like they were using it all the time, how to get it into, um, send it to clients with, you know, directions on here's how to, to use it. And um, his take on that was, this will always be this way. Like it will never fold back. You will have these, these options to come in and to see your provider and stuff. But he's like, you know, this, this increase, um, that they had will never come back to right. this, this previous space. And, and, and his, his thought was, you know, it, as, as you indicated, cats out of the bag, technology was there. People are kind of slow to move toward that, just, mm-hmm. just propelled them there. And now, um, now they're there. So, so yes, yeah, so that's a, that's a big, so, so as a CPA, someone comes to you and says, so my business models changed, Chad, like I actually had a, a brick and mortar office. So I had to pay, you know, heat, electricity, yeah. insurance on it and things like that. And I, it looks like now I can do 80% of, of my job remotely. I'm probably going to need to share with somebody, go in and, and rent some space. So, uh, you know, maybe I have eight hours a week of, of a face-to-face location. But um, what does that look like as far as like tax advice, it, it, things that you would <laughs> tell them? I, I, I guess not to go detail, but like things you would tell them, okay, now if you're if this is your model has changed, here, here's some new considerations um, for you. Like if you're going to be based out of your your home and, and do this type of stuff, like here's some things you, you really should be thinking about. So um, I have picked up quite a few new therapists between when this started in March and of course today. I guess word got around that I have mostly therapists, which is fine. But um, there have been a number of people who, you know, they're just getting started and they're looking for office space or, you know, space so they can see clients. And sometimes it's pretty expensive because you have to get furniture and all that stuff. Um, after discussing it with a number of the new ones, we decided that there's no need to do that yet. Like just get some temporary space that's fully furnished. Maybe you can pay it by the week or by the hour or something. Right. Because I, I think there's going to be so few people that are going to continue to see their therapist in person. Like it's, I think there's always a bit of lost energy, you know, when you're not in the same room as somebody and you're having a discussion, but apparently with therapy, the patients couldn't be more happy about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it takes away that whole, you know, I suppose too, like you don't have to go into a waiting room and then, yeah, you know, interact with a receptionist and, and, I had like a routine doctor's uh, appointment that was like an annual th- uh, thing on Monday that I went to. And I was thinking this could have been done remotely. And at least yeah. like all of the paperwork, they're just like, could you fill like all of this out? It's like the updated stuff. Could you just email this to me and just have me do right. it as like an email or PDF or like bring it in? And it, this feels like just really weird to have you hand this to me and sit here and, and as other people are around me, I'm like, I just think we've kind of moved beyond this. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, 
I don't know. So yeah. So give me give me a couple more um, a couple more stories of of where people. So you know you you had the initial couple of weeks of the coronavirus. Once people started to settle in, um, what were what were you seeing from them? I guess like how how are they saying I've got to adjust like long term now because it looks like you know things could be shut down or things could be restricted for quite a while. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, what were people, did they start to, to settle down, you know, with, with their panic or did they start to kind of just give up and say, yeah, business has been really slow here for three, four months. It's not really going to come back. So, so you probably heard about these things. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we knew the government, however imperfectly was going to try to step in and prevent all these businesses from simply just quitting. So did you hear, I won't go into too much detail, but did you hear about these programs they implemented, the PPP, you know, the payroll protection program, and then the SBA loans, you know, basically the government's way to try to, you know, put capital in with owners to prevent them from, you know, completely right. bailing out. Right. So as long as, you know, my clients, my business owners were particularly like feeling anxious about this, I just urged them, wait, 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 wait. The ones who waited, they did get relief because before I talk about it, are you at all familiar with what these entail, like the PPP in particular? Not Yeah, if you can give a, an overview, sure. that'd be great. So the PPP was meant, it was rolled out as a way to help the business owners keep their employees on payroll, even if they weren't working. So it was basically free money based on the number of employees you have and what you're paying them. It was, it, it was implemented. It was free money to these owners as long as they proved that they used 80% of the money for salaries. Um, okay. That's a funny question. I was about to get into Andrew S.'s question. There's pretty <laughs> funny. I'll talk about that later because you were talking about remote. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about yeah. that later. Um, so uh, that was something that gave them an immediate cash, kind of like a shot in the arm. But it caused some problems because almost everybody who could no longer work or go into work, they left and started collecting unemployment. Right. right. Unemployment. Now, normally that's like unemployment doesn't pay you a whole lot, but the feds were subsidizing whatever state unemployment um, people were getting $600 per week. The feds were doing this. I know it was insane. Right. And so I mean, this is predictable. We know what happened when things started to open up a little bit and people could go back to work. And then people realized that if they went back to their job, they would be making less money. What do you think happened after that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they would be they would be angry with their employer for calling them back of saying, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better off. Like I'm going to take less yeah. money for for coming back to work. So what then happened was these employers, they, they couldn't hire their old employees because they didn't want to come back and they were already living off the government's teat. So they had to try to, to hire new people and get them trained, you know, whether it's a, a salon or some type of other business that's in person. So, I mean, normally I, I talk crap about the government because that's my job to outsmart them. But right. I don't want to give them too much crap about this because I mean, they were kind of put in a position where it's like, we have to work. You're damned if you do. And you damned, if you don't, you have to make sure people don't starve, but at the same time, you have to make sure the business owners will keep their businesses open. And, um, 
so there was just a lot of that. People sitting on their couches making money, people uh, trying to hire people who weren't willing to work, even new people because they were making more in unemployment. And it just uh, it's still kind of a mess even right now. So so what so anyway, as you indicated, six hundred dollars. Um, if, if somebody was making fifteen dollars an hour without taxes times forty hours a week, that's six hundred bucks. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it was a significant you know jump, and that was on top right of whatever yes. your state was going to pay you for unemployment. So, um, so it was a minimum of twenty you know twenty four hundred dollars a month minimum, and, and a lot higher than that because you were collecting the state unemployment. I mean, it's, it's not making you rich, but you make, that's a decent amount of money to, you know, not go right. back to work. <laughs> so, so, um, clients are coming to you and they're, it may be, are they saying, how do I get my employees back? Or are they saying, um, what happens with my PPE, my government money? Because now I want to pay my employees, but my employees aren't coming back. Like, how should I document this? I mean, how do I keep my business going when I can't get these people back? Um, other people aren't available because, um, you know, there's more competition for the people, I guess, who are willing to work. I don't know. But I, I'm assuming there's a big problem here of saying we just don't have the employees anymore, Chad. I don't know if I can keep this going. It's not a mem- It's not the fact that I'm not getting this, you know, PPE access. Mm-hmm. The people, I can't bring them back. And if they do, they hate me. Well, this is what the government, the, the government did it this way. So, yeah, that was really predictable. I mean, everybody could see that that was going to happen. So originally, the PPE was supposed to be you have to prove that however much money you were granted for the PPP, you were spending 80 percent of it on salary. And you need to prove that by July 23rd or something. Okay. So predictably, the government, you know, everybody was like, that's impossible. We can't even hire people to come back. And there were still restrictions in a lot of states like, you know. 25% capacity bars and restaurants and things yeah. like that. So the government finally had to extend that. And so they're basically saying you have to prove by later in the year that you use 60% of it on payroll. So they're allowing more that time for more people to get hired and they're being a little bit more free about expenses that can be used for it. Is, and, that, a, um, is, is that forgiveness too? So yes. do they have to pay the money back? If they can prove this, then it's basically like a grant. It's it's basically a grant. If you can prove that you used the money in the way it was supposed to be used, it's a grant and you don't have to pay it back. Now, it doesn't mean you get to write it off as a business expense on your 2020 taxes. That's been a whole kerfuffle, you know, in okay. my circles and some others. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the situation with it. And um, I'm just thinking, you know, I don't know how you feel about if there's going to be another like wave or something of this, like it would be absolutely devastating if that happens, you know, before the end of the year, because then what can the government do at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've thought it, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that because um, so I live uh, North of Madison, Wisconsin, and and the big news here is they've canceled the fall sports. So, you know, first, first time in 125 years, there won't be Badger football. But, you know, so I'm like, okay, it, you know, then then the ripple effect, $100 million lost revenue from that. And I'm a UW alumni, so it doesn't take more than 10 hours to start getting the emails from the alumni association, the different universe, the calls coming in. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. would you make a donation to like, no, <laughs> nah, no, no, yeah. forget it. I don't call. But um, but uh, yeah, so it, then you start looking, okay, that that impact in Madison of 
everything that would come in, not only Madison, but yeah, other areas like Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, so Green Bay, Metro Green Bay is maybe like 200,000 people, but you, you shut that down because um, the Packers, at least the first two home games won't happen. Yeah. What's it going to, what's it going to look like in these, in these business businesses and states, which, um, you know, the states aren't bringing in the, the tax revenue um, mm-hmm. that that they were. And here again in Wisconsin, the Democratic National Convention was supposed to happen in Milwaukee. That shut down. Yeah. When when do you. So I guess I'll, I'll bring this one back to you is when do you think the states and the, the Treasury departments of the states are going to come forward and say we have to cut 20 percent. Right. Or big, you know, significant cities are going to say we have to furlough or just flat out cut 20 percent. Um, of our staff, I, because I'm looking at this thing, how has this not happened so far? Like, how is this not being announced at statewide levels of saying we have to do these like austerity measures? There's and, been a lot of people, government, state employees here in the city of Chicago who've been furloughed. So it is okay. happening. And to, to also answer your question, something that's really, really funny, I think, is this it's this game, you know, all of these big cities are pretty much all of them are, of course, run by Democrats. That's just the way it is. Yes. So yeah. they so desperately need federal help. They need the government, some money from the government for because they've lost tax revenue too. you know, to fund their services. So you got people who would just love to get help from the government, but they're too messed up to, like, ask Trump for it. Because they see it as like, you know, if they accept any help from the government, that means they're condoning anything that Trump does. So to me, that's been fascinating because it's like, you know, pick your poison on this one. Yeah, I mean, it it has to give um, somewhere. And and I think that's I, I don't know how that's going to play out. You know, you're, you're talking about. Um, so what happens if if there is a second round of, of shutdowns and things like that? Yeah. Um, so I, I was watching. I don't know how far you're located from. What is it that that Best Buy in that stretch that was was looted in oh, Chicago right. earlier this week, right? Monday morning, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So um, you know, so obviously Madison, Wisconsin, State Street extensively um, hit by by looting. Um, you know these the other areas. So I'm also, you know, w- thinking a fair number of these areas aren't going to do really any rebuilding until after the election uh, because it's probably going to be, I, I would say election night's going to be very hostile no matter what happens. Yeah. Um, and, you know, from a business standpoint too, it's got to be like, God, am I going to keep the risk of keeping a brick and mortar business kind of anywhere right now? Um, because I, I mean, somebody breaks in. Yeah. I, I know there's insurance, but I've, I've, yeah, I've talked to a number of people who are, are business owners who have their places looted and they're like, yeah, but you know, now my insurance will go up tenfold because I'm in a high target area. My insurance carrier uh, is saying, you know, to maintain your insurance, you're going to have to pay this to try to get a small business loan. They're saying you're going to have to pay this like a long-term prospect or like, maybe I'm going to keep this business, but I have to relocate out of here. I have to go to some area that has not been, you know, targeted as a center for like protest and rioting. So I, yeah, as an economic thing. And, and then what do you do for parent, like parents? So, you know, my wife and I have two daughters are school age and my you know, wife is, is a, as a stay at home mom. So, I mean, that worked out, you know, for us and things like that. But wh- what do you do if you ask the, the country, you know, all of these, 
these parents. Um, and then what does that look like for K-12 public schools? Yeah. Um, so it is, it is so twisted to try to work through these, um, scenarios. I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I've got a very quick, funny story about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, so of course, yeah. There's the pandemic, and everybody's worried. And as we all know, then there was that you know George Floyd thing, which just piles of crap on the bad stuff that's already ongoing. Right. And the the only thing I want to tell you, like, um, you know, just specifically as a resident of Chicago, uh, something that's been observed from my end, which is frankly, it's amusing, but it's also very sad. Uh, a few of my brick and mortar type business owners, and I won't say exactly what type of businesses they have, but when they saw that, you know, half the city got rioted and broken into and there's all that crap. I'm not talking about what happened here Monday. I'm talking about, you know, throughout the month of June. It, privately, they've told me that they have big signs that say Black Lives Matter. You know, they, they, they're just doing every type of virtue signaling imaginable for those business do you think they're doing that because they believe that and they just want to show how much they care? Or do you think they're doing it for another reason? Yeah, obviously they're trying to, to lower their chance that the place is going to be a, yes. be a target. Yes. I And it's people think that, you know, all these businesses are on their side, at least here in Chicago. I can't speak to some of these other cities, but a lot of people are doing it here simply so they won't burn down their store. <laughs> they don't even support them. And here, here's something else, Chad. So, um, for, for example, Madison State Street, um, I think like 77 businesses, uh, you know, looted. So windows smashed out, things like that. And yeah. So just just a, a little story about State Street. It connects uh, UW-Madison, the main building, um, and and the Capitol. So it's, it's the walk between those two. And it really has incredible shops, a major performing arts, you know, center, um, hundreds of millions of dollars that was, was donated to the city. So it's, it's this really special place and it was severely damaged, but, uh, I, I was checking it out a couple of days after the, the damage, right. You know, like during the day when people are coming out and they're still biking around and doing things and, and, um, but so they had up the plywood and murals are being painted on the plywood of all these different things, you know, <laughs> of of positive, you know, rebuilding stronger and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, first of all, okay, like this will, this is so temporary, right? This is, this is something in the moment to, you know, give people the impression that all is going to be well, everyone yeah. is going to come together over this. And that, you know, even though this happened, these people were, this was severely damaged the, the trust in this, this area also severely fractured. I mean, some of these businesses, they had donated money, like one donated for a outdoor pool for the community yeah. and their business was targeted. One of the first ones and destroyed. Um, but I'm looking at this and then I'm, I'm mentioning it to the person with us. And I said, uh, who's going to be the first person that's going to take down this plywood that just was painted with a mural. Like it was, was not authorized by the owner. It was just yeah. people came around with spray paint. And I'm like, if you're the first one to take down the sign, like you're going to be on the news. You're probably going to be um, addressed by people of why are you taking this down? You know, you, yeah. you, you're interfering with this message. And unless like the city overtly comes out and says, 
we have like a, a area we're going to put all of these and do like a periodic educational display and bring all of these out. That'd be the only safe way for businesses to do that. Because yeah. if you're the first business to do that, that is you're, you are going to be a magnet for everything bad for attention. And then this whole thing too of like, um, well, the city, we're going to open up the streets. We're going to block the streets off and people can have their businesses in the streets, especially. Yeah, they uh, tried restaurant. that here too. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, but last year on Halloween, when I took my youngest daughter trick-or-treating, it snowed and it was 20 degrees. I'm like, this is so short term. Um, you know, th this isn't perpetual. This is just an immediate, um, as you said, very strong virtue signaling. Yeah. Uh, to to keep the to keep the you know th things from getting too far out of hand and it's still like happened what is two weeks later then they um, the the protesters turned to rioters and ripped down statues in front of our yeah. state capitol and beat up a legislator and it was two it was a physical therapist a female yeah. physical therapist and a high school uh, or a school district social worker in her twenties and a physical therapist in her thirties who were the ones on video that went up and assaulted this um, legislator and sent him to the hospital and he had to have surgery. And, and this is not embellished. This is all captured on video. They were both. And then they, they, um, they turned themselves in like a month later after they kind of, you know, people were starting to draw that. So it's not like they even came forward the next day and said, Hey, like we were caught up in this. Um, it was, we, you know, at least like then say, it was contagion effect. It, we, it mm -hmm. got out of hand. It's basically, <laughs> we're hoping we don't get caught. We're still going to do business. We're still going to yeah. provide our services. But when it starts to circle in. So, oh my God. I mean, that kind of stuff like just was just frying my mind. Yeah. Oh, man. There's a lot so, of stuff behind the scenes that people just don't know regarding the way businesses are being run and how they're trying to protect themselves from getting, you know, broken into and, and looted or something it's uh it's been interesting so has anyone talked to you um you know also i guess about um the uh, physical loca physical location or having a physical presence um if that makes sense or if they should be transitioning to virtual or if they should yeah. for example are they like chat if is it the, is it is there a tax advantage if I hire security? And I know like Joe Dolio's in the chat and Joe's saying, you know, even like a lot of security, it's not even available right now because they've been mm -hmm. so tapped out. Or how do people look at trying to protect their assets if they're business owners um, in kind of the environment we have right now? It's pretty hard for some of them because I mean, at least here, we're still only at 25% capacity. Like if they have, if there's a patio, you can sit outside, but I mean, for bars and, places you want to go indoors, they're limiting capacity. As far as how to protect their assets, I mean, most people are just trying to ride it out and, and stay afloat by doing things in a different way. Of course, you know, restaurants take out and beers, having takeout alcohol you can buy and things like that. Um, I, I know this is kind of a family stream you're doing, and I want to tell some stories about it, but I'm worried they're a little less... Uh, they're, they're, these are rated R stories. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, tell them. Um, okay. And then I, we have a question also from uh, Brian Bowden in the the chat, and and Brian um, had uh, his time, you know, working right right on Wall Street too, and he's in, in the Bronx. So, um, yeah, he, he's got a he's got a question now. I know, like, you're not giving you know recommendations, but at least maybe some perspectives on yeah. 
things like uh, precious metals and stuff like that. But I, yeah. So he's, he's asking, you know, when I worked on wall street, I always advised anyone who asked to buy precious metals in physical form as well as certificates and what's your recommendation. So that is totally outside of my professional wheelhouse. You know, I'm not a financial advisor, um, but just, you know, and I'm not an economist either, you know, Mr. Clary's the economist, but right. I, I do think I, it, it makes sense to me when he and others say, you know, it's good to have those things in physical form. Because I mean, if you're, if you're invested in precious metals, but you don't actually have them, how easy can that be taken away? So right. Right. yeah, my, my lack of, you know, professional experience with this, I would say it's good to have some hard assets. Do you have people coming to you? Clients asking you about this oh, and yeah. saying it, it doesn't make, or, or what does it do? I get, do I get taxed if I invest in certain, you know, precious metals and things like that? What does it look like for a portfolio? Because I mean, these things don't pay dividends, but is it some, you know, what does it look like? I guess that it's interesting because yeah, what are, what are people saying from an accounting standpoint too? Of like, I guess, what are, what are safe havens when traditional safe havens like, um, you know, a 30 year federal note are paying mm -hmm. you know, like what 0.5% and, you know, five year CD might be 1% or something. Are they, are they, I, and then how do you kind of steer them into like, here's some people to look to, here's, here's what to talk to, or here's, but if people are like, I'm just afraid, like I have no safe haven for my money or um, I have a neighbor who's convinced like there will be this big amateurization, mm -hmm. like just everybody that has above X number of dollars, that'll be taken and put into a pod and redistributed. So they're like, how do we, how do we work against this? I mean, so me, I have a cop out answer every time. I, one of my very good friends is a financial analyst here. And, you know, I've sent him clients. He sends me clients and we've been friends for a while. Anytime somebody's asking me questions like that, and there's been a lot of them because they think I'm supposed to advise them on how to invest their money. I send them to my friend because I mean, I could get in trouble, even if I preface it by saying, you know, oh, this is not intended to be advice. If I say anything and someone makes a decision by doing something I recommended, I could get in a lot of trouble. So right. I just send them to a real, a real professional for that. I do get the questions a lot, though. <laughs> yeah. So you had a couple of stories you wanted to share and I want to hear them. So let's go for it. Well, so... <laughs> I've got, I have a wide variety of different types of business clients, um, whether it's side business or a full-time business. And um, up until really last year, I only had, let's see, I had three strippers and two porn actresses. Like this was, I thought it was funny and it was always amused me how we would figure out deductions for all of them. And they would offer to barter, you know, wink, wink. But of course I never did that. Right. Um, can't tax bartering. Um, so what ended up happening, you know, if you can't go into a strip club to strip because they aren't open, uh, not many people are making porn because that's a non-essential activity according to state law here. Although some might argue it's essential depending on who you are. Um, so everybody has become a cam girl. You know, you know what the cam girls are, what they do. <laughs> I've listened to you and Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've yeah. heard about that, yeah. Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so basically, it's the kind of strip club. Um, it's either one-on-one -on -one clients or putting content on the internet, and then people can subscribe, um, you know, and get and get that content. Um, but yeah. 
the part that's kind of disappointing to me and just makes me sad is that, you know, when this first was floated and they were telling me they were going to do this, I was like, oh, they're not going to make nearly as much money as they were before. You know, they're going to hate this. For whatever reason, I don't know if guys are lonely or they feel like they want to have some kind of one-on-one connection to somebody who's just trying to take their money. Like, they're just killing it. And I never root against my clients, but I just think it's really sad that they're making so much money doing this. Way more than the girls were doing it. They were making a lot stripping, but they're making even more with this. Wow. I mean, that is... That is, is, uh, so were some of them also cam girls, um, prior to coronavirus and then what's changed for them like right now? So if you're, if you're a cam girl, um, last year in March, um, versus being, um, a cam girl right now in. So some of them, the strippers were pretty much always strippers. They didn't do things over the internet that much. Um, the porn stars, they had, uh, channels, you know, I, I won't say the website, but it's one that people have all gone to, I've been told I'd never do it myself, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've heard wink, wink. Um, so I guess it, I think it has to be demand. I, originally I thought there was going to be so much supply that, you know, the, the money you can make from this would go down to zero. Right. Uh, which really should have happened. And it's probably happening to many others, but because these girls had been these, at least a couple of them had been in it in a while they already had fans. And so they were just kind of fortified their presence, you know, through Instagram and Twitter or whatever. And pretty soon, like they were up, you know, a thousand followers over the course of a few weeks. And I have to check in with them because I need to know if we can make some quarterly payments and everything. Holy and, um, smokes. Yeah. I can say like, it's, uh, it's true. They're killing it. They're making more than they normally would. And I don't think that's something to be celebrated right now. So let me, so, but this, Chad, this is actually something I would write about in my book, like um, the velocity of information. Um, this this exact uh, story would be would be uh, terrific to indicate, um, you know, how people's perception of, for example, the coronavirus and civil unrest and just the state of chaos is. Because, let's say, if you had if you had um, winter storm is hitting, you know, the Midwest. So yeah, here, Madison, Chicago is going to be down for four or five days. Like you might see a little spike in, in some of this, but that's going to be it. But when people believe like, okay, for the long haul, I'm probably, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be shut down. And it's not mm-hmm. only, let's say, a, 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 yeah, strip clubs, but casinos and, you know, whatever, um, there are, are these things. So yeah, the money flows somewhere in, in the time. And um, people then get into this, what's called uh, crowd-in theory. And crowd-in theory definitely means... So when you start to see this and start to analyze it, it, it kind of reflects that people are thinking, oh, we're in for probably you know another 6, 12 months of a, of a really wonky type of yeah. society. Like, um, So I guess like the point is, this isn't behavior you would see uh, um, if, if a hurricane Irma is going to hit or something like that. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see this type of behavior, but right. because it, that happens and it, it, it recovers. But I think this really conveys this, this interesting crowd in theory. There's, so you mentioned the supply and demand. Um, are you familiar with John Ronson? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay. So John, John Ronson um, is an author 
and he writes a lot of really cool um, stuff. So he's like, "Hey, thanks, Dave. That was a hell of a promo you just did there. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a lot of cool stuff." So, hey, so, so no, <laughs> um, but yeah. So John Ronson is um, is from England, so he like he narrates a lot of his own stuff. But he he did uh, he wrote a book called "The Last Days of August," and it was about when Pornhub um, became popular. I don't know, you know what, like seven, eight years ago. Uh -huh. And he interviewed a, a um, adult film star who used the name August. And basically once Pornhub came about, everything that was produced for content by, by producers was being hacked and it was out on the web then for free, sometimes in like less than a day. Mm -hmm. And of course, like the content producers could go to whoever it was the, in the interview, like the guy, the head guy at, at Pornhub who had become a billionaire over. And so they would say, you have to take this down because somebody uploaded this to your site and it's content, which I have a copyright on or whatever. And he'd say, okay, and then, you know, they'd have this process, but then at the, that moment, there'd be 10 other people uploading it. And so these content producers would say it, you really had, unless you're dealing like with one client, the, this whole industry had pretty much been destroyed. And so anyway, like the, the, with the last days of August, I was talking about, um, you know, strippers, porn stars, for example, mm -hmm. who lost their careers. Like they lost everything. There was, they would go and there would be no work or it would be so minimal because, you know, the, the content producers are saying, listen, I am, there's money to be made on this for 24 hours. And then after that, it's, it, there's nothing. It's not like it, it was 15 years ago before all of this. Mm -hmm. So they actually interviewed, he interviewed the guy who was, um, you know, the head of, of who created Pornhub, but whatever. And this guy was just saying, you know, ethically, yeah, he understands like this destroyed a lot of people, but he's, he's a businessman. And this is, he's not uploading the content. People are choosing to upload the content into this, into this format. And, but, but yeah, that's kind of interesting because if it, it would seem there'd be some saturation point in this um and what you're saying is like your clients are saying yeah absolutely so give me some idea of of just some figures like maybe were people making five times as much as they were making or, or throw some numbers out there say here's a person they're 26 years old and they made three hundred thousand dollars just to give give people an idea of the numbers we're talking about here well i'll start with the strippers because and i have to preface this um Obviously, strippers make a ton of their income via cash. <laughs> um, so by default, I never really know what they're actually making. I know what we put on paper because we have to put something. And of course, the clubs want to at least write some of their income off. So some of it ends up on a W-2. <laughs> um, the strippers, at least the ones I've seen, are so far making twice the amount of money they used to you know, make on paper so let's see, we started this whole thing in March, um, 5, 10, 15, 20. I'd say that they're averaging about 5,000 a month, which may not sound like a lot, but just to sit around in your underwear and pretend to be nice to people, I mean, to me, that's a lot. Wow. And what were yeah. they averaging before that? You, what were they, the strippers? Like, what were they making? Or? Yeah. yeah. So they were making, on paper, mind you, they were making half that much. But I mean, the thing is, that's, Right. Obviously, we know they were making way more than that, but I couldn't get them to like prove to me what they were making. I'd be like, look, you know, 
it's your name that goes on this uh, waiver here that says I can only go by the information that you've given me. So I suspect they were making a lot more than was being okay. reported. <laughs> wow. So th- how about cam girls? Like how about, how about cam girls right now? Maybe some of them telling, maybe some are calling you and saying, Hey, do I have to pay like quarterlies now? Because like my income has significantly changed here, Chad. So I want to make sure I'm on the right side of, of my accounting. So the funny thing about them, the girls that had been doing this, um, a lot of them weren't necessarily getting issued what's called Form 1099s. Those are what you get when you're an independent contractor, but you know you have somebody who's contracting you out, like maybe one of the, the websites or whatever. So the 1099 amounts they were getting weren't terribly high. These are the, the porn stars. So they'd had the platforms for a while, but they weren't really making a lot of money as cam girls. They were getting paid for the porn that they make. So this is what they ended up doing kind of cleverly, I think. Um, they started linking their cam girl pages uh, with, they started taking those and putting them on the, like the sites like Pornhub and all that. And it really got their names out there. So they, they're in for a shock about how much in taxes they're going to have to pay because all of this is going to be reflected in a 1099. Pornhub does issue 1099. Oh, gotcha. Yes. And so I've been warning them. I'm like, look, you really ought to make an estimated tax payment. You know, it's due in a month, Q3, September 15th. Let's let's just talk about that. Oh, I don't need to do that. You know, let's just worry about that come tax time. And I'm trying really hard to get them to understand that they're going to get uh, – They don't. Oh, here's another thing. They don't save their money. None of these girls know how to save their money. None of these girls are like – particularly responsible when it comes to uh, finances. So I'm already ready for them to be in for a rude awakening in about uh, six months. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So, so what would, so do you have like one or two cases where you can, but you know, people you can point to and say, you know, right now they are making um, since the start of coronavirus, right? Since March, um, they are up fivefold in what they're doing. Yeah. Or they were making five thousand a month, and now they're reporting to me they're making ten thousand dollars a month. Um, anything objective like that? So I got to go back to my therapists. Um, okay. They and I just I went through this kind of in mid July because that's when Q two um, quarterlies were due, and of course that was the new um, the new due date, the extended filing date. Um, I remember back in January and February, I had brought in a number of new therapists. They were starting their business. They were ready to go. Um, so they were the ones that were particularly like scared. They're like, oh, my God, what do I do? I just rented an office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been doing this for a number of years. And the therapists, the new therapists that I brought on this year, they're easily making double what they would have made if, it had, if they had started in 2019 they would have made half as much as they have now made because of the pandemic. They owe what they're making to the pandemic because of the telehealth and because right. people just have a lot of problems now as a result of this mental problems. <laughs> so I, if therapy was a stock, I would have loaded up on it a long time ago after this thing. That is, yeah. Yeah. That is unbelievable. So this is an advantage where, I mean, if you're a therapist, um, if you're newer into the industry, this could really be a good thing for you versus, yes. um, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're somebody who developed a, you know, a clinic and now you've got, um, first, my, 
my former neighbor um, was a psychiatrist and he owned several clinics in the area and then sub, you know, had had different levels of therapists, you know, working cognitive behavioral, marriage therapist, um, mm -hmm. sports therapist, all of these things underneath. But he had all of these physical locations. And then um, so I'm thinking right now, I mean, and he retired, he's been gone, you know, like 10 years, but had this hit. <laughs> I mean, he would have had to evolve and move to that, but he, he kind of, um, he would have had a hard time because he also has these physical locations, which he still has to have the grass cut. He has to heat mm -hmm. them in winter. They're in Wisconsin. You can't do, you have to do something with these. Even if people are, are working remotely, these become um, liabilities, um, I would say. Um, but, oh, my God. So that is that is absolutely fa and then yeah. the, the fact too that um, a lot of your say a lot of your clients who are how about how about your therapist I mean are they saving um, their money or is it more of a generational thing where you're just saying no one's saving money right now like people are just like spending it all so um, about I'd say about four out of five of my therapists are millennials to give you some context I have some Gen Xers they're older there um, for the most part. And I, I'm going to give myself credit for this. I don't know if they're actually listening to me. They have been fairly responsible, the ones that I've had. Now, there's the outliers that I got one who's addicted to cocaine because they can't handle the stress of the job. That's been ongoing. Um, a number of them do have uh, substance abuse issues because it's probably hard to be a therapist and listen to people's like problems all day. I'm not saying I would want that job. Um right. But yeah, aside from a few outliers, that at least from what I can tell, I'll get the real story in about mm, seven months or so. But from what I can tell, they're they're doing well because except for online shopping, like I don't know where you can really spend money right now. You can spend it on cam girls. You could get it on you know takeout. Uh, there's just not a lot of people going out. Yeah, <laughs> even even with things opening here. Yeah, that's you know I live. Um... I live about 20 minutes from Wisconsin Dells. So anybody can just, you know, Google that if you're not familiar, but it is what's called the water park capital of the world. So every summer um, it, it's, it's, you know, tens of thousands of people go to these huge water parks and it also has these huge convention centers. Um, some of the biggest in the United States um, and, and those have largely been shut down. And then they tried to open one up and it lasted like two weeks. And part of it was they couldn't get the visas for the foreign workers to come in, which are a lot of kids, um, you know, staffing these things. So like that was also, so that's, that's an area too of like entertainment that is just gone, um, you know, for the state. Um, wow. So how about, um, how about this psychology of purchasing? What are, are, are people, are you looking at people like, what I'm trying to get at here is, um, okay, so at the start of coronavirus, law of scarcity, right? People are just going to buy toilet paper, yes. canned goods, stuff like that. Yeah. And then maybe as a business, they're going to dump their marketing, right? Like the, mm -hmm. our, our, our friend Nick Shulander was, yeah. was sharing this with me. Um, you know, Nick uh, works with marketing with companies and small companies. And he said, that's kind of their gut reaction is, oh my mm -hmm. God, I'm outlying, you know, whatever, $800 a month on marketing. I got to cut that. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to save everything. Um, so what are some things maybe you saw at the start, like uh, some of these fiscal decisions that are, that are different now than from the, the start? Are people making more investment into that or are they like 
buying more personal things? Are they buying personal property? Are they, I, I guess what I'm trying to see is like, is there, is there this crowd in behavior, mm-hmm. um, crowd in behavior of like people saying, you know what, I'm going to go out and buy a new BMW because why not? If it's the money's in the car versus like if the government tries to take it out of a bank account, they can't because I've got a car mm-hmm. or it's something that makes me feel good. Crowd in theory is also this whole thing of like, you know what, I am going to do this because it makes me feel good. I'm going to buy yeah the, this this new TV. I'm going to invest in yeah these new this new wardrobe and all of these things. Which mm-hmm. um, and, and so that I've started to see. And if we look at places just like stores, like mm. big retail, interior paint is selling out um, or has sold out. So that's a sign of like mm-hmm. comfort. And puzzles like puzzles selling out, but. Maybe anything you've seen where you're where you're looking and seeing some people make some purchases, which are really probably solely leisure, mm. but not scarcity or comfort. So I have less of a of an ability to see those types of things, just because I mainly deal with business expenses, and I'll occasionally, you know, talk about people's personal spending habits. Anything involved with like creating more and more entertainment at home. I know for a fact that uh, people are heavily investing in that, whether it's a uh, double the size of their TV, maybe double the size, double the speed of their internet. Um, at least in my circle, I get the impression because these people would normally be spending a lot of money traveling, you know, to Europe, to South America, to East Asia. I, I just know a lot of people who that was their passion well, they can't really do that. So they're trying to make it as best they can to be entertained at home. So those are some of the items I'm seeing. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, I don't really go to Home Depot, but I bet all kinds of like home improvement projects are being done. Um, things that people are just trying to do without risking going out. That's another thing. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, um, it's, it's, pretty interesting yeah to to dig down and to see some of these things um and i've been i had morgan rogue on who has um rogue preparedness preparedness channel and she was on the previous show and she was talking about things that she was starting to see that were disappearing like you couldn't get a sewing machine like anywhere use sewing machine Mm -hmm. or on the craigslist you couldn't get a sewing machine and uh you know same thing with like a freezer and stuff like this but um, those things are kind of just more like crowd in. Something's going to go on, you know, down the line longer. And then uh, Phil um, Heinrich, who's in Germany, is saying like video game stuff is just crazy. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Right? people are like, yeah, what else are you going to do? So they're just like that. But see, that's also like this whole yeah crowd in thing. Like you'd spend money on video games um, now. But like back on March 15th, when the NCAA is closing in Disney and the president's coming on and, and they see, you know, these we're gonna have a speech today at three o'clock and everyone's like, what the hell's going on? Um yeah. no one's buying video games at that point. They're like running to the store and, and throwing everything in their cart. Yeah. And and just you know, anything that's food, anything that's toilet paper, batteries, whatever they can get, because they're thinking it's the end of the world. Like there's gonna be some announcement of yeah, you know, we've discovered that whatever this, you know, this is going to infect everybody within yeah, 90 days, and there's this high fatality rate and whatever, but um so how about so how about you as as um, I, I guess as as it's what does this mean for um, a CPA and is does it mean like you are doing more virtual has your business oh, changed yeah. from okay tell me about that so Aaron Clary always gives me crap about this I you know I often say I would like to be completely location independent 
Um, so he'd be like, are you location independent yet? And this hasn't, obviously it hasn't happened yet, you know, before this year, I have my own office, you know, I, I, until this year, I would spend most of my time there in tax season. There was a period from, I'm going to say late March all the way till late May, nobody would come see me in person. Not at all. I, <laughs> I worked strictly from home. And I would, I would offer people, I'm like, look, I'll wear a mask. There's hand sanitizer. There's space to be six feet apart. Nobody wanted to meet that way. So this thing, I think it may have the unintended consequence of creating location independence for my type of business. Because traditionally, like the only sort of hangers on that still want to come in, and I, I have been keeping careful track of this, it's, it's older clients, you know, Gen X or, or even boomers right. who, who aren't as into technology. So um, it has me thinking, and you know, everyone's like, it's never going to be the same because people are going to work from home. You know, commuting will be less than commercial real estate will, will struggle. Uh, I think that because I'm not really providing therapy, all I'm really doing is, you know, doing your tax returns, providing you some planning advice. Uh, and I can do that over Zoom. I'm actually kind of excited to see what's going to happen because I would love to give up my office to not yeah. need that uh, expense every month. Um, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, oh my God, that is so. So you know, with that being said, um, what do, what do you think? What do you think might happen to you know, like Silicon Valley places yeah. like this? Where so my brother-in-law is um, an engineer with Google and has been with Google for about 15 years and of course lives proximal to Google headquarters. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, they've been told for the next, what I think through summer of 2021 to work remotely. And, yeah. and he was one of the first to um, be told to work remotely. So I don't think he's been at Google headquarters at, at the campus since, you know, early March and everything. And I would say, you know, of course, the the high cost of living everything out there so at some point it's these places it's got to be like do i stay here or do i move to like boise idaho right <laughs> what do i i mean what is the appeal going to be to to live in some of these places um unless you actually have to yeah do physical work in those locations yeah i'm a firefighter here i am doing you know these types of things which can't be outsourced but what do you what do you see for um, where where things are probably going to be or, or could could go potentially like even like Chicago like it, well but before I answer that I just got to say this um, before all of this year happened I used to be really jealous of people who they would do their work you know in an office in a restaurant or you know a mechanic or whatever. And then they got to go home and not think about it. I used to really get under my nerves that, at least for my work, I felt like I kind of had to be reachable during non-business hours. Right. And this whole thing completely gave me a paradigm shift because, as you can imagine, if you're able to do most of your work remotely, that means you're probably not ever going to lose your job or your business isn't going to suffer. So now I'm kind of like, instead of being jealous of the dentist that'll go home and not have to do any work until the next day. I'm actually kind of grateful that this is how it is for me. <laughs> oh God, um, that is a great point. Yeah. For years I used to complain about it. Um, as for Chicago, you, do you know how bad the budget situation is here? Do you know the financial <laughs> crisis? Good. 
I know it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So you couple that, like we already had a real crisis with underfunded pension liabilities. So that's in a normal year with normal tax revenue, yada, yada, yada. Man, I, I do not know how this city is not going to have to become the next Detroit because there's no tax money in this. These underfunded pension liabilities are not going to go away. So a lot of us, especially in my field, we're just kind of sitting back, just waiting to see how they're going to what they're going to do to make our lives worse to collect all that uh, tax revenue. Oh, it's God. about to get really bad here in probably some other cities. So I don't have any timeline on if and when I would move out. But if my job becomes like 90 percent, you know, right. virtual, I, I'd seriously consider leaving. I don't know where I would go, but I the way things are going to go here, I would probably bounce. Because <laughs> likely what they would do is is they would just do like a, I mean, taxes would go through the roof. I oh, mean, yeah. they, they, would, they would just do that. So that would be the so if let's say that you were able to be um, location independent and, and to the point where if you needed a location periodically, you could rent it from somebody on an hourly yeah. basis. Um, and, and actually that's probably a hell of an industry, right. Of someone coming up with, with <laughs> yeah, almost this, this boutique industry of saying, you know, I'm going to maintain um, yeah. Five meeting rooms of, you know, not, not very not very big, you know, maybe two, uh, 200 square foot. Um, and then basically rent them out to, you know, could be you like a CPA or, or where people have to have some face-to-face -face business. And then after that sanitize it and, or there maybe, uh, is that maybe like a weird timeshare type thing. It just couldn't be too big. Like it would have to be, you know, like, I got a, a great, I actually have a great story about that. This is a place yeah. that's it's about, yeah, I'd say three blocks from where I live. Uh, this place, it was a VR bar, a virtual reality bar. And that opened probably about a year and a half ago. So that was one of the ones that like, oh, they're going to be shut down. People aren't even allowed to go indoors to, you know, get drunk and put on VR glasses or whatever. So they did what I thought was extremely clever. Um, they took out all the VR stations or whatever. And what they did was they put in, you know, temporary virtual offices. So they've yeah. completely pivoted away from this and they're actually doing really well. I was talking to the owner a few weeks ago. They're getting all kinds of people who just can't stand being at home and they just want to go somewhere and you can't really go into restaurants. But if you if you make yourself, you know, for temporary in-person office and leave enough space, they've recouped a lot of uh, money pivoting to that. So I, you're right. I think there's going to be there's going to be more and more like brick and mortars who are going to try to find a way to cater to that, however they can, meeting space or whatever. So you, so so what you're talking about right now, so it's virtual reality bar. So then people are going there to like get out of their apartment or get out of their house, um, yeah. and do their work from there. So it's just a change of pace. So you know, there, there's so I think there's an interesting part of that too from a psychology standpoint. There's something called Parkinson's theory, which I have to give credit to uh, Phil Heinrich for making me aware of this. Um, Parkinson's theory um, basically meant that you would uh, you would fill up the amount of time. So let's say you had 10 hours to paint a fence. Like you would make sure that it took 10 hours to paint this fence, even if it was like really a two hour project. But there's another side of Parkinson's um, th theory, which was saying that people. Um, so like it, you get up in the morning and you, you, you go to your office. So you have a routine. 
you leave your place, you op- get to the office, open the door, set up your stuff. So that is actually a start. That's a bookend of your day. You are opening yeah. the door to your office. And then when you close the door to your office, you go home, that's that's another bookend. So work happens in between. Now, of course, I know like work happens outside of that, but like largely like this is the work time. But right now, um, with people working remotely, there are people who this Parkinson's theory isn't working because they, for them, like they're always working, right? They yeah. they don't shut it off. They they go upstairs, but here's their office. So it isn't as clear as like the commute ends my day, the commute starts my day. So what I've you're struggling describing- with that. I've struggled with it for a while. Yeah. So, so, and I'm, so I'm glad you shared that because I think yeah. this, I think what you're getting at is this could also be like this Parkinson's theory where people do that to reestablish some exact start and end, which is a tangible physical activity that yeah. they're, they're doing. So you said you struggle with that. Tell me, um, because this, this is something I've been hearing too, is that people who have gone to remote work are feeling that subjectively and probably objectively too, they're putting in more hours than they did when they were actually at the job, even though it's the same, maybe the same amount of work or else they're expanding and, and, and doing more work. Um, so yeah, tell tell me how you're experiencing that. So early in my career, I've been at this for six and a half years now, like my own thing. And, um, when I was just when I was uh, just getting started, and I did it part time, but then when I wanted to ramp it up to full time, I would just I would take any client, man. It didn't matter who they were or what they wanted. I would just take, 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 take. And the way I thought I would differentiate myself was I would just respond no matter what. You know, if I get an email, I'll respond, even if it says, you know, I, you know, I can't, I can't answer your question now, but I want you to know I read it, and. As you can predict, what do you think happened to my well-being and my personal life living that kind of um, work life since I started? <laughs> yeah, it, it just burned out, right? And it, it, it just burned it, out. It, it overwhelms you and, and you yeah. get tired. And and uh, and I, I got to remind me to come back. I got a story uh, kind of on, on that that I can add into that. But yeah. Yeah. And so um, I guess I just I was so. I was so unsure that I could really make this work that I had this this flawed belief that I had to always be reachable. And even on my off season, you know, you always got to check your email. And um, yeah, I just got burned out. And so I started like cutting. I I didn't check my mail. Here's a good example. I was in Oregon. I got back from Oregon a week ago. I was there for two weeks, like tax season had ended. I want to see my family and everything. So the challenge was. I had to find a way to not check my email the entire time, which is really, really hard for me to do. Yeah. Really hard. So, um, you know, I didn't do it. I tried not to think about it. I had a great time. I had a five hour flight on the way back to Chicago. So I went ahead and paid for the airport Wi-Fi. And what do you think I did that entire time on the flight back? And I needed every bit of it. I was responding to emails. Wow. Yeah. So I was, I was, um, I was a school administrator for, I don't know, a dozen years. And, um, once it got to be Sunday night, right. And of course, like it, that was also a, a job where there's so many night meetings, some <laughs> stupid meetings, like where this committee is going to meet and then this committee and then the grading, you know, like, Jesus Christ, like we don't need all of this stuff. Like not every night has to be a meeting, but, um, which is one of the reasons I am so glad. <laughs> So glad to be out of just the structure of, of 
of that. But um, Sunday nights, like I would, I would try to preserve the weekend the best I could. But Sunday nights, e- eventually eight nine o'clock, once the kids were in bed, mm-hmm. go down, open up the email, and of course, I'd be like a thousand emails, you know, yeah, because everybody blind carbon carbons you and everything that they're sending across the, you know, throughout districts and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I start responding, and then um, I, I had others, other. Um, school administrator friends. Like we had a, we had a pretty close network, right? <laughs> We're all like burning out at the same time. And then I said, how do you guys handle the Sunday night thing? And I'll never forget. One of my really good friends said, you know, like I don't even sleep Sunday nights anymore. I just completely, I will respond and do emails. I'll like work ahead. And usually like Mondays were always these like big administrative meetings. And those are always horrible and negative, but um, he was in a different district, right? But he's like, and then I just leave like at four in the morning, I get to my office to get the voicemails off, like, you know, the 50 voicemails and most of them are all negative. And, uh, but he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't slept on Sunday nights for years. And then I had a vacation, as you can have said, my kids were, were younger, we we're up North and you're expected to have your phone on 24 hours a day. Yeah. That was it was actually in my contract, right? That you had to be reachable and they would provide you a satellite phone. <laughs> it was just it was nuts. Like looking back, it's stupid. I'd never, I would tell people like run from this stuff. It's absolutely insane. And and there was something that went down and it, it wasn't like a major thing, um, but it, it was something that I got pulled out. Uh, I was with my family and we were at a restaurant. I had to go take this call. And then basically I told my wife, take the kids for us a day and I got to deal with this. And responding at night from the hotel and I'm like, so this is freaking not worth it. But, um, but, but yeah, as, 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 as you're indicating, I think anybody listening to this, if, if, you know, if you are in a position where you have to be on this 24 hour accessible thing, or you put yourself into that thinking you're going to advantage yourself, it's just a fast way to, to burn out. And, you know, I, I got, when I got later in my career and I got to the point of retiring early, I remember talking with a few uh, clients that I worked with and I was telling him, you know, I'm going to cut back hours and things like that. And, and it was really weird because I had a response from one of my long-term clients on the West coast and the next day. And they said, we want to pay you more money. Um, and you know, whatever we can do to make this work. And I said, well, I'm not, I said, this isn't about you. I'm not upset with you. It's just a change that I have to make. And I also felt I, I was thinking about it that night and I'm like, people get so dependent upon you also. It's kind of like what you were saying. Like people don't want to make a move until they run it yeah. by you of how this. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like this whole, like what social media mentality of like, I'm not sure I'm going to wear this tonight. So I'm going to post it to Facebook. And if it gets enough thumbs up, this is what I'll wear when I'm on the show tonight. And uh, it was really weird because I, I had, I came back and it, I knew the CEO really well. And we just had a talk like a, not, you know, just non-record it like a Zoom call or whatever. And I'm just like, what's the deal? And he's like, we're, we're just, a, we're, we're used to working with you, right? We mm-hmm. don't want to, we don't, we, it's a good relationship. And so we'll, and I, and I said, well, I, it has to be fair. Like, I'm not going to charge you way above like market or something like that. But if I'm not here, like, it's not also good for you to just be solely dependent upon me because at some point I'm going to exit out of this um, and do other things. But it was really weird. It was a psychology of, how as a business, you know, they got so, as you said, kind of people were like, Chad, I can only meet with you in your office. I, I have yeah. to bring in the papers. I have to show you this, this statement that I got here. I can't take a picture or scan it to you. I actually have to show it to you. Um, that is, is a mentality that some people are still kind of locked in and, 
and moving beyond that. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to reveal too much here, but um, I, I have made the decision, and this is not just because of Corona and everything. I've been thinking about this for a while. Twenty twenty one, there's going to be some significant changes as far as my business goes, because it's like you said, some people can't. Like it would take them two seconds to Google something, and then they have their answer. Instead, they're contacting me, and it's it's getting worse and worse and worse. And um, I just say I'm devising a plan to reduce the amount of hours I'm getting, reduce the amount of emails, um, because that's the part. I'd say that's the part I dislike about my business the most is that everybody's got so many questions. There, there's no so everybody starts their their email with these words. Okay. Okay. They, hey, Chad, I hope you're well. Right. Are you, re- you ready for this? Yes. Quick question. There is no such thing as a quick question, at least when it comes to tax, because the second you provide an answer, there's always like three or four other follow-up questions that follow my answer. Even when I try to snuff those out, I'm like, well, the answer is no, because, and I'll say, it always leads to more and more questions. So um, right. I, there's going to be change. I've decided after this year, there's going to be some serious changes the way I do things. Good, man. Yeah. You know, I, I had a question um, for my tax accountant because, yeah, I mean, now the things that I do have many layers, um, but before, unless it's like something super easy, right. That is that I do have down to like, it's, it's a yes or no or whatever, or what's the threshold on this versus like per the, my personal information, which you have, I always tell them charge me because it, to me, it's a professional, it, I wouldn't say courtesy, but if someone was asking that of my time on whatever, I, 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 I mean, it's, I don't know, but it, it's something where I said, um, here are questions I have. I have three questions. Um, and you know, I expect you to bill me to answer these because <laughs> I know you've got your things and, um, I don't know. So that's really also, I think, maintained a really good relationship there. But I, I'm assuming there, as you said, there's so many people who are like, yeah, by the way, um, here are yeah questions and just expect you to answer them. And you're like, this is this is like 30 or 40 minutes or like I, all I'm going to do is give you links to a site that you could have easily found to, you know, download XYZ and, and obtain this yourself or again, or maybe just crystal balling. Like I have no idea chad what happens in the next year if if i make yeah sixty thousand or eighty thousand or a hundred or twenty thousand or we have this or this level of inheritance and, and they give you like all of these these scenarios and you're like well holy smokes man um, this this is i still can't get over how how consistent this is um what's so funny is that when someone has a question whether it be quick or otherwise i'd say about 10 percent of the people that are emailing me or whatever are, are cool with that they're like hey i totally understand if you need to bill me for this you know i expect that and what's so funny is that the it's almost always the case that whenever somebody says that they're genuinely quick questions which you know didn't really take any time and and that's fine it's it's really the rest of them that try to take advantage of me so much try to get me to give them free advice they never once consider that you know they should pay for my time so it's like the ones that i don't want to charge or the ones that say you know charge me if you need to 
So it's that 90% that I'm developing. I mean, there's things like A clients, B clients, C clients, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, the days of me just like answering everybody's quick questions, right. <laughs> they're over. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> it's it, uh, Joshua Landrum. Um, and I appreciate Ch Joshua's uh, been a regular in the chat. It's funny because he's the question, Chad, can I itemize this year? Right. <laughs> there's so, so much yeah. goes into, into that. Um, as, as someone you know who, who had uh, a business and we did itemize of everything that goes into that and now having to hit the new thresholds that that's that literally is <laughs> well you know what's funny is that i've started Crazy. i've started doing what you've suggested like i've um i i you know i pre-write out emails for specific questions and most of them just have links i say like here this link will explain everything and then if they ask a follow-up question i just don't write back so I, there's people, you know, I'm sure you've heard this expression where you want people, you want somebody, whether it's a client, you know, somebody running for office, you really want them to go away, but you don't want them to go away angry. Cause you know, you don't want your name getting dragged through the mud on right. social media or whatever on Yelp. I've reached a stage where whenever, for me, it's not about what clients am I going to take on? Cause I already have my niches, my markets. Right now, it's a it's a question of how am I able to get rid of certain clients and do it, you know, <laughs> properly. I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. I I I went through um, you know something similar, and then what I did per the advice of uh, of a of a friend that had gone through this process is they said um, if you have someone that you can refer them to, like if you do believe they're they're a good client, right? You know, that they have their stuff together. They're not, they're, they're not coming to you at the last minute with their taxes and nothing is prepared, but, but, it, but it's just like, you know, I have to, to downsize. Um, so I did that and I, I did have people I contacted and said, I'm going to refer some people to you. So if you do get like a, a message from them and they mentioned me, yes, I did refer them. You know, I don't have capacity to work with them anymore, but I do think, you know, they're a client that is, is, you know, worthy of considering adding if you have capacity. Um, and that really helped me on a professional level is that I didn't, that wasn't my approach, my, that at all coming into it. And then, um, again, this, I, that was just shared with me of saying, you know, Dave, you, let's rethink this, like, you know, make this exit and then make the second step. So you're just not leaving it. So they feel that they're cold out in the cold that you're saying, by the way, here's like, you know, somebody else, make this contact. They're already aware that they're are, are going to be getting contacts of some people who had worked with me and, and stuff. And, and, uh, uh, so, so for me, that was, that yeah. is something I've been doing in the last couple of years. And let me tell you how this usually goes. Like it's, it's good advice and it often works, but I've found this particularly this year, this tax season. Um, I, I, I had met somebody who wanted to start up their own CPA practice, kind of like I did. So I agreed to, you know, pawn, you know, give him a hundred clients that I didn't want. You know, I get a little kickback for whoever is right. sticking around. But the problem is that that, and I felt like a genius at the time. I'm like, I'll just always do this and I'll keep what I want to keep. The problem is that that guy and really other people I've tried to do this with, they're looking to maximize what they charge because they know they have to kick back some to me. So when that happens, they raise their fees too high. And then the client that I referred them to, they'll come back to me and say, hey, uh, do, you have, do you have any other referrals or can you please just do them? You know, so-and-so was 
was too pricey. And so I kept having people come back and be like, well, they were more expensive than you. So we just want to go with you. And so at that point, I just sent them to the H&R block, you know, because I, for whatever reason, it just really pissed me off when people would do that, when they would just come right back to me and be like, well, we didn't want to use them. So we'll just stick with you. And I'm like, that's not an option. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And so many people just aren't professional these days. No. I mean, I'm sure like mm-hmm. the, the clients that you work with and, uh, and, you know, I do a lot of, well, you know, school safety stuff like across the nation and it, and it floors me um, the lack of, I wouldn't even know if it's professionalism. I, Cause I think you have to be, have this metacognition to be aware <laughs> that, that uh, I, I just think people completely unaware and completely clueless. Like, I, I, I was asked to come in um, and, and do uh, some pretty significant consulting in, in a location. And, you know, so it was a big commitment from, from this place to bring me in. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sitting there and they assemble their people at one point, you know, and, and I'm going over some things, like they're totally just like, <laughs> you know, whatever you put in place is fine. And then kind of like, we're, we're not going to do any of this anyway. Like it's not you. It's just like, it doesn't matter. This isn't personal. It's not you. And like one of the people told me that, that who was in the ranks said, no, this is the same way with X with Z, you know, with Y initiatives where now, you know, they, they bring in things. So just know if people get up and are taking phone calls and leaving the room. Oh, and Chad, get this. This is another thing. This actually, I mean, this floored me. This is like back um, late 2019. They met with me ahead of time, one of the HR folks, and they said, yeah, we're not sure like if you encounter this in other places, but if people feel anxiety when you're talking about this stuff, um, they they do have the right to leave the the room Mm -hmm. um, and they don't have to return to the presentation um, and... I'm like, well, it's nothing, you know, graphic, nothing that I'm presenting that is terrifying, you know, it's school safety presentation and, and something specific to the district, but it, it basically was, um, anybody that felt, yeah, this, this level of, and I mean, that, so that's subjective and, and, and this, and really the HR person is kind of like nodding their head as they're telling me this of like, this happens all the time now. Like people just get up when they don't want to, <laughs> they're done hearing stuff. They just leave. And uh, it happened like it mm-hmm. was I had mentioned something and, and they also twisted it into something that it completely wasn't. And I, I can't <sighs> if I actually would have recorded the presentation, I could have nuanced and picked this out. It was something really weird. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was like on door locks or some codes yeah. or something like that. And it was, well, you know, building codes, those were all put into limit. So, you know, only certain types of buildings could be in certain areas. And this is really about the segregation of a city. And I'm like, holy smokes, like. I'm just talking about building codes for fire codes on a door. I'm not talking about now a narrative that you've just reintroduced to me of why this city is completely designed the way that it is um, from an an ethnic standpoint. I'm like, I don't know your city. I'm telling you about door codes and barriers as one slide. (laughs) So, um, so that part was frustrating. I, when I left there, I said, I'm not going to do this, this type of thing again, being, mm. because people, you know, up front, it's just not worth the time. I mean, if you can do the, um, the excuse yourself from, I don't know if it's critical thinking, if it's from, you know, knowledge, I, I mm. don't know. I mean, do you see, do you see any of that or do you, um, uh, 
Let's see. Not not typically so much that. Um, I get a lot of people who, I mean, I I say this kind of humorously, but you know that movie, what was it, A Few Good Men, where the dude's like, you can't handle the truth, you know, that part. Um, I have to play that role sometimes because people are just sticking their head in the sand and they won't accept bad news. So then they don't deal with the things they need to deal with. And then we have a real mess on our hands the next year. And that's pretty much when I kick him out because I can only help people who want to help themselves. And that's going to become an issue probably in the next two months. That's going to be a real thing because that's when you, you can't file past October 15th. You just can't. Yeah. So I don't know if that's similar to what you were talking about, but I I do have a lot of triggered type people that, you know, what can I do? Yeah. Um, So I guess in getting toward closing and, um, and then I want to hit on some of uh, some incredible points that you brought up um, because actually these are things that I want to bring forward into the velocity of of information. Um, But do you have any clients um, who have, have just, uh, are kind of just again giving up on you hit, you hit this kind of at the start too but tell me maybe about a client who's giving up on a prospect of a business that you you're looking at it and saying from a bigger perspective here i i don't think you're looking at it you're you're, you're letting your emotions guide you yeah and what's maybe like the most recent that's happened is it something like in the last week or is it something um you this know this was or, a well, this this happened a few weeks ago before okay. I left town. And this one actually really bums me out. He's such a nice dude. Like, he's one of the best clients you could ask for. He had his own tattoo business. But he, he did it really smart because he niched himself in that he only worked on tattoos that were related to, like, having cancer. So whether it was, like, covering up scars, you know, he was very talented at, at putting ink on things for people who really felt self-conscious about it. The guy was killing it. I mean, 20, let's see, he came to me in 2017 for the last couple of years. Like he was just destroying it. I mean, he was really doing a good job. And unfortunately this COVID thing really spooked him out because he, of course, tattoo parlors closed, you know, in March, I, I believe they've opened up, you know, some of my other tattoo clients, they are operating, but I mean, this dude, he, he was telling me he's so spooked that he's, he just wanted to shut everything down and look for a, a salary job somewhere. And I thought that was particularly sad because he, I, he doesn't have to do that. I mean, they will let people come in for tattoos. Like it's not reached a point where those shops will never be open again. Uh, but he just got spooked and I couldn't talk him out of it. I was like, look, you know, so-and-so look at what you've made the past three years. You can't tell me that, you know, you won't come to at least, you know, 60% of that, even with restrictions. And he just couldn't, couldn't deal with it. Couldn't handle it. He had problems handling it. So he was, so was he like thinking, um, you know, people are going to come in here and I might get infected or like there's going to be possibly more city or whatever regulations or. It was really the combination of the two. Like he, of course, was concerned about getting you have to be close to somebody to, you know, give him a tattoo. But he was also concerned that and he's a really smart guy. He's just concerned that we don't know how long this pandemic is going to go on. And, you know, Tattoo parlors are about as unessential as it gets, except in, you know, 
hipster type neighborhoods, but I mean, they're not people that's low on the list of what business is going to be open. So I can understand why he felt anxious. I just think he really jumped the gun by doing that. Like he's shut down. That's it. He's out. Holy smokes. I know. Yeah. That's know. really, that's really a, a, I mean, yeah, that's a sad story. Cause then you're also losing. Yeah. The, uh, you know, talent. I mean, you're not losing an employee who is, yeah. was, you know, for example, in some job that's they train you and it's interchangeable. I mean, you're, you're losing someone who has a real talent and a skill with that. And, uh, man, um, well, I asked him to reconsider. I said, right, if you want to shut down the business, at least look for, you know, jobs at tattoo shops before you do that. But I mean, nobody's hiring because of the uncertainty here. So right now he's, he's about 40 years old and doesn't know what he wants to do with the rest of his life. It's, it's rough. That's a, yeah, that yeah. is a messed up place to be. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, when I was, so, uh, you know, and you know this, so I retired at age 47, which was, um, there were a lot of factors with that. And one of the factors was, I mean, just, I spent time learning about money and also working when I was very young, we had a concrete factory, uh, two blocks away. I was able to get in, I don't know, like at four, you know, work permits back then. <laughs> I don't know what was at 13, 14 years old. And and, uh, you know, they'd give you a, an above the table check and then you'd get some kind of personal check or cash under the table. Yeah. Hey, can, you, can you make it 38 hours this week? I'm like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. I can make it happen. And CDs back then were paying 10% and Ford and, right. and Ford Motor Company used to issue a seed. Basically, it's like a CD. It was a Ford certificate. You, so if you send them a thousand dollars, they'd give you a 10 year certificate that would pay 10% every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was it, and I was, you know. I know Clary's got his minimal minimalism um, uh, series that just just released, and I wouldn't say minimalist, but I didn't I didn't make any catastrophic financial <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. I guess if you listen to Warren Buffett of saying if you can avoid, you know, a couple huge financial mistakes in your life, like I didn't rack up a uh, hundred thousand dollars in student loans in you know um, anthropology or something like that. Um, so I, I did, I did manage to sidestep, um, a lot of these things Then I think, you know, coupled mm-hmm. with work and, but, um, but yeah, so it's exception though, right? Like it is, it is yeah. just, um, it's just a, a marvel cause people, um, I don't know. I mean, saving isn't there. Planning ahead isn't mm-hmm. there. Um, there was a point when I would for maybe 10 years, like through my th- maybe in my thirties, like at the end of every day, I would tally up kind of like the money that we had versus like retirement versus like, this is for spending. I had like just multiple spreadsheets and it would take, you know, 30 minutes, but I always knew. And then always like set aside, you know, little accounts. Um, and, uh, I'll tell you, you know, side gigs and, and tell me like what percentage of your, but, but what are some side gigs that your clients have that also seem to be like really good income makers. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Um, I mean, the typical online businesses, you know, people are trying to, people are trying to sell stuff on eBay or whatever. You buy it for X amount, you know, sell it for a higher amount. I have some uh, kids that are trying to do that. I don't know how well they're doing, but they seem to be moving a lot of inventory. Um, really, you know, side businesses, um, there's one accountant. I got to give him credit. He's a CPA, a colleague I've known for a while. He started his own YouTube channel of all things and ended up getting, you know, 
God, he's up to like 300,000 in subscribers. I swear it. It seemed like it happened overnight. I mean, he just somehow captivated everyone. So he's barely even focusing on being a CPA and enjoying being a YouTube star. Oh, let's see some others. Um, there's, there's not a lot you can really do to sell things in person on the side. So, I mean, people are just trying to sell those, their services over the internet, whether it's contract writing. One of my friends who has a day job as a programmer, like he's making like five times the amount of money on his side business doing coding, you know, to outside people. So that's right. really been something. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's mainly people who are just, you know, they found the ways to get the internet to work for them because, you know, selling stuff in a brick and mortar, that's that's not good for a while. Yeah, the the art of the side hustle, I think is is just so fascinating. Um and and for me, that was one of the things um I started to teach university classes, you know, right? Like they they would need an adjunct for a few things and then they and and I, I took a few opportunities and um then also, again, early on, like someone pulled me aside and said, listen, whatever they offer to you, like take it, like, because you can figure it out. Never say no, because the more you say yes to the university or multiple universities, they'll just say like, well, Dave's the go-to guy if we have another section of whatever. Yeah. But but literally, like I, I, I taught, I think like 120 sections of classes since 2002 on the side. So that was, that's also been like a really cool thing. Um, now, PhDs are often very limited in value. <laughs> like, it, it, um, you know, unless it's absolutely required for some licensure or something like that. But to have this kind of ancillary um, access, because universities, if you have a PhD and you're teaching some stuff, they get different levels of reimbursement from the feds. And also cer certain programs have to have a PhD ratio. Mm -hmm. um, so I helped them out with that and they helped me out, you know, with, with some courses that then, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm dealing with higher, um, you know, graduate level students. You're not dealing mm -hmm. with people who aren't going to submit, <laughs> submit their work to you. They're already to the stage where they kind of know how the system works, but, oh man, that is, that is insane. Well, so I want to just add something real quick right, yeah. to what we're talking about. Um, and this makes me so happy when this type of stuff happens. Um, I, I may have mentioned it earlier. I have seen a serious, serious upkick in bartering. See, you oh, yeah. yeah, you can't tax bartering, which is why it's so great. Like neither party who, you know, sells their service is subject to paying any taxes on income. So, you know, I'm not going to lie. I had a black market haircut, you know, back in, in May because one of my stylists was willing to do it. Um, things like that, you know, just find a way you can trade services, um, and that's really something that I'm trying to encourage everybody to do, especially with all this going on. <laughs> that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Morgan Rogue was was uh, doing a show. I don't know if it's out yet, specifically on what has value and what can you barter. Yeah, barter. and things things that you wouldn't ever think of, you know. But kind of like you were saying, and then um, you know, like my neighbor um, too. I mean, so. I mean, there's certain tools, different types of chainsaws and stuff like that. He's like, hey, if you ever need like this, just borrow it. Like, just come over and yeah. ask me. And I'm like, you know, and of course, initially it's kind of like, nah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a guy thing to go and ask you for like, you know, the bigger or like, you know. Um, and he's like, dude, no, like I've got this, my power washer smaller. He's got like this big industrial friggin' thing. He's a big two-story house I've ran. She's like, this would be perfect. Like you power wash once a year. 
Um, you're signing if these extensions would be easier. He's like, dude, it doesn't get used otherwise. Just like go let me know and I'll you can just use it. Um and uh yeah, I have to go get some I, I have to go get some uh firewood too, and he's gonna loan me a truck, you know, to go get that. And yeah. I don't know, I guess what I'm loaning back. <laughs> I gotta think on that part. Um what I what I can what I can trade back there, uh you know, to oh, actually, I did mow his lawn like one time. I think when he was gone this this summer, like I said, I'll, I'll just go and clear it off and, and take care of your lawn. But I think that's a good point of like what really has value. And I know people will say, well, gold and silver and things like that. But I think this is a different discussion of what yeah. what are some things and services that have um, value that you can that you can give back and forth um, to to people. Because actually, I I have this. Um, where there's there's somebody that will kind of proofread some like journal articles and stuff that I'll write like before I'll submit them in, um, and then I'll be like, okay, I'll throw some professional development materials that I you know customizing out. Now I will leave them so you can customize them to your location, and you can just have them. I'm not getting paid by someone else to develop these, so it's not like they're losing money, but it's something like I've been working on, and here. Like, if you're willing to do this for me, I'll do this for you. This is completely, mm -hmm. yeah, an off, an off record type well, of thing. I just want to get it on record. So is there, I have never once bartered with any of those ladies I was telling you about earlier. That's not something I want to do. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, Chad, going back, um, Re I want to recap a couple things. Um, first is thank you, you know, so much uh, for being on the show. I always appreciate when when uh, you're on with uh, with Aaron. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That is, it's, I, I always do. Um, but so you know, one of the things I'm going to come back to a few things, but I, I think it's absolutely fascinating when you mentioned the virtual reality bar. So the virtual reality bar, again, describing that is that's a place where people would go to play VR games at yeah. like stations. So it's kind of like what, like a table they would be at. Like if you were to describe what it looks like, what did it look like when it was a VR bar? It's it's like a, each little slot where, so they had a bar where you could get drinks and everything. And each little slot where people would take the VR and just sit or whatever, it was kind of like a line of, of phone booths, but they were bigger. You know, you could spread out. They had a desk. It's, it's a private type of room. And um, I, I guess I just thought that that was really clever of them to completely pivot into like it being a virtual office because, I mean, there's six feet. There, there's six feet of space when you consider that like there's a wall between everything. So you can like socially distance in there and you shut the door. And, um, I, you know, I didn't think they would make it work because where I live is not a place where there's a lot of commercial activity, at least in the traditional sense. But uh, yeah, it sounds like, sounds like they completely managed to make the change. So now they're just virtual office space and not, you know, virtual reality. <laughs> kind of crazy. That's absolutely amazing because I, it, cause I think part of what plays into that, and I mentioned it before is this whole thing, uh, Parkinson's, um, theory of saying that, you know, you, if you have a defined start and end process to your day, which again is they have to go there, they go through the door, they go to the station, they set up their lab. This is a start. Um, the people function really much better in a work, um, 
setting that has that component to it. So to me, that also yeah conveys, yeah, we're into this crowd in theory and people are trying to, to impose this stuff. And in, yeah, not that it's good or bad. It just indicates we're in a different phase than what we were before. That's, that's absolutely unreal. And, and going back again, so a cam a, a, a client who would be working as a cam girl in <laughs> 2009, like, um, I get, what's, what's the difference in, in income from 2019 to 2020 because of coronavirus, um, whether you want to give a number one or whether you want to say it's up threefold, it's up fivefold, but I mean, how has that changed? So at least what's on paper, um, and remember, they probably made a lot more than the paper I ever got to see, but yeah. from what I'm seeing, it's it's been consistently double. And, you know, some of these are not trivial amounts that they're getting. I guess it's the one that confuses me the most because why would you pay for this artificial connection? Like if you're a guy, you're not getting anything out of this. So I, I I don't get it. And I've even asked one of them, I'm like, you know, is there a typical type of of client that does this? And she says it's mostly like older married people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So take that for whatever you, whatever it means, but that's what's going on. About double. So about double of what they about what they were making. Yeah, so, I'd say about double. So you said five thousand a month. So like maybe ten thousand a month now. Uh, so the best one among the group is is yeah making easily ten thousand a month just from going on just from doing this, but taking her clothes off and working right. whenever she wants to work. It's it's really something. Wow, you know, on that John Ronson on um, you know the last days of August, they were he was interviewing to um, some of the content producers. And you'd say like, what are some of your requests? And they're like, you know, it's all over the place. Like some guy emailed or, or postal mailed a stamp collection worth $5,000 and wanted me to burn it in, laugh at it as I was burning it and make this, this video about that. And it was because deep down inside, he felt he had wasted money and time, you know, collecting all of this stuff. And this was then his way to feel good about seeing it burn and he wasn't the one doing it. And uh, it was just, just this, this stuff, but you know, I'm not out, you know, it, it's just interesting to observe from a sociological um, perspective. And as, as, as you said, I, I, I think that is really fascinating to bring that out and bring that, I think forward into the book. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you concerned at all? Um, how far is this um, Best Buy stuff in Chicago from like where you live and I guess is that as crazy as it is on the news or is that kind of more, well, it's, yeah, it's a best buy, but things otherwise are pretty level. So that, yeah, that happened overnight Sunday into Monday. That didn't really, that was still kind of closer to downtown. That didn't really, that was never a threat, but I want to tell you about what was happening, you know, in early June when everything, everybody was over here riding. Um, this was scary. So my office, it's not a storefront. I'm in a secure building. It's nondescript. Like there's really nothing anybody would do to break into it because there's nothing there, you know, that you could see. So I remember I was in my office pretty late working when these riots were on, you know, full blast. And I never thought that they were going to get as far as where my office is. I was literally like, I heard this bad noise. It was a you know, ton of people that I could tell some bad stuff was about to happen. I turned off the life and the light in my office. You know, I was kind of peering over the window. There's a T-Mobile across the street. There's a Japanese restaurant and there's like a, a beauty salon all lined up. Oh my God, man. They 
just absolutely destroyed these businesses. And they were just taking rocks and bricks. And then they were walking out with phones from T-Mobile. And I don't know why they busted the restaurant in the spa. But yeah, they didn't care. They just totally destroyed these things. Holy smokes. Yeah. And I had seen something earlier where there was some guy, you know, in some window that yelled out, you know, we support you guys. And then somebody threw a brick right through their window. That's why I turned off the light because I don't want any risk of that. <laughs> Not that they could reach that high. But still. So that got pretty close to you. You know, actually, oh, it right? was right outside my, <laughs> my office door. Holy smokes. Yeah. So that's uh, June 1st, I think it was. Um, but yeah, that's when I was just like, this this has to be the worst year ever. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like the I remember the morning that Kobe died, and then I was like, "Damn it!" You know, and uh, I went when out for was like that. I I don't even remember when that was. Honestly, oh, uh, I, I I don't know. I want to say something like a January twenty eighth. Um, so it was in twenty twenty. Yeah. I, I couldn't even remember. It was. That. It was. Yeah. And and so I'm like, God damn it. Um, you know. So I went out for a run, and I was like, you know, you know, it just, it just had a kind of a weird feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Like that was, you know, that was followed up by just, uh, just as it. So we we were we we were booked to fly from Milwaukee to Orlando to spend a week at Disney in the middle of March, and. So uh, Disney closed two days before we were set to arrive. And so that whole week prior, like things are starting to get really sketchy. <laughs> I'm watching and I'm like, oh, damn it. NCAA is shutting down, like some other stuff. So then I'm like, who do we know who's in Orlando, like the Orlando area? Like if we had to get out of there or like what's the condition? Well, we know this relative and they have like a the van that they could learn loan us to like get back. And then I'm I'm well doing all these contingencies and stuff like that. And and uh and then of course you know everything shut down and we we didn't go. But um I knew some people who were down there the last week, like when they announced it was going to close and they're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like half the people showed up to work and it just, it, it was just, it, it was weird. Like, cause everybody knew like it was shutting down and people didn't want to be there. So, and of course, like, who's going to go to Disney now? This is every day in my inbox. Hey Dave, how about, you know, you guys ready to come back? And I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, why would I, it just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't want to yeah. have our pictures of Disney in a mask when it's a hundred degrees and then have, you know, these additional conditions and, and hours. And I'm like, no, you know, we're, it's just, I'm glad we did it. And I drove actually um, in 2017, we went down and I drove because I wanted to control over, you know, versus airlines and stuff like that. But I'm like, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a dad, you know, and, and just, I, I, I wouldn't give up that locus of control anymore of putting my transportation into other people's hands and where I'm staying and, and stuff. So, um, but when you're telling, we so Joe Dolio is um, he was in the chat before, but Joe Dolio has tactical wisdom. It's a blog, and, and he talks about you know what if you are in your office and a riot starts outside because in yeah. Detroit where he's at, he said it was happening in Kroger parking lots. So you'd be in shopping and you'd come out, and then the parking lot would have a a protest. Uh-huh. You know, so suddenly you didn't know about it. It shows up. You know, the people are going vehicle to vehicle police are kind of standing back um it, w- i mean would you have just camped out at your office that night or how did you get how did you extricate yourself from that kind of subtly of like being like hey 
Well, they they left and went somewhere else to okay. riot after a while. But I mean, I have a I have a couch in my office. I've spent nights there before during busy season, so I wasn't worried about that at all. But um, it's just I never thought I would see that this mob coming in that area and just destroying everything around it. It's pretty surreal. <laughs> has it been has it been replaced, or is it just uh, all plywood right now? They did eventually. So it was boarded up for a while. I think they wanted to see if there were going to be any other riots. Uh, but after a couple of weeks, you know, it opened up again. And what I think is bad is that that Best Buy, there was a Binnie's, which is a liquor store. And then that Best Buy that you saw in the news a few days ago on Monday. Right. I'm almost positive that those same stores got like absolutely obliterated a couple months before that with the riots. So uh, imagine ha- imagine having to deal with that twice. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, I mean, it, I can't, um, and especially yeah. I mean, they're at least you know it's a it's a bigger maybe box you know store and different insurance and not, yeah. not smaller stuff. But but yeah, I don't know how in the world you know you bounce back when it's when it's that I've talked to a lot, you know, people have net natural disaster stuff, you know, whether it be wildfires. Um, I had on a guy who was Alaskan crab boater and then he started a cement company and then it was in um, Canada and then a wildfire came through and like burned up all the, you know, equipment and everything like that. And mm-hmm. they couldn't even get to it for, you know, several days. And he's like, God, you know, then they had to start over. And of course you have insurance, but a lot of this equipment you customize out over time and, and just to try to replace these big cement machines this is a big mm-hmm. process, but but he said it, it was so defeatist, but, you know, he bounced back. But it, it was one of these things, too, where you don't expect it to happen, <laughs> you know, two months later. And, of course, when things are at the control of, of humans and not nature, it's really hard to process. Like, why would people do this mm-hmm. versus just like, oh, it's force majeure. You know, it's it's this act of God. This oh God. Hey, let me let me check uh, the chat here. Um so we have what is this? Cold steel is on sale for $21, a no-brainer. Sass too many. That sounds like a good thing. Um, all right. Oil, oil for the Yamaha. Oh, these guys are is there um, time for me to take a quick break or we um yeah, and actually it's up to we we can uh we can get into wrap up right now. You know, this is usually about the length of the show. We're here at about two hours, so I mean. I think we've we've really done justice to to this topic. So yeah, yeah, I should probably get going. So um, yeah. cool. So hey, thank you to everybody in the chat, and um, thank you to to Chad. You know our discussion today. So Chad Elkins, CPA. Um, yeah. You know, getting a, a perspective on uh, what people are thinking from a fiscal sense, from an accounting sense um, mm-hmm. of the coronavirus, how they're doing their life. I mean, you've, you've just fina- fascinating stories that you that you've shared. So I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, <laughs> that is, that is, I, I mean, when, when you're telling me about, I looked out the window and I'm seeing this at this T-Mobile and stuff yeah. like that. I thought this was pretty far away from where you were at. Like this was, this was a part you'd have to be and you know, it would take you 15 minutes to get to this location. I didn't know. Yeah. It's, it's something that was right, right close to where you're at. So man, just take care of yourself and, and be well. <laughs> and and if, if people like surround you, just say, hey, it's Aaron Clary. And then like when everybody <laughs> turns, you just run. They'll be you like, run. okay, now we're going to bring other people to be, to, you know, now. Nah. <laughs> Is that Aaron Clary? So, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your your content. Um, and now, Chad, is there anything you you do on your own social media or is it more where you're guesting with like, you know, other I, people? 
I so a few years ago, I used to do a tax tip of the day every day on Facebook and all and social media on Twitter. I've quit doing that because, frankly, I have more clients than I need right now. And every time I would post something on social media, it would lead to somebody seeking free advice. So I, I just don't do anything now. This stuff is for fun. The stuff I do with you, Aaron, I, I like to do it for fun. <laughs> this has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.